that's about as much of that song as you can listen to ah. before George Lucas repels from the ceiling and sends you a cease and desist. So <laughs> he comes riding in on a riding in on a mouse yeah. uh, with red suspenders. Yes. Oh, but I, like the Wookiee was just about to get an award. Come yeah, on. that's that's the whole point of that song. And so if we play it, then you know we're in trouble. All right, here's a normal <laughs> intro. This podcast is hosted by Chris Finkston and Spencer Oliver. They are both experienced paramedics. They've done everything from 911 ground ambulance to volunteer fire department work and are both currently flight paramedics. This podcast reviews scenarios based on real calls run by real out-of-hospital clinicians. Details are changed to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. This podcast is EMS 2020. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of EMS 2020. This is a special episode. It is a Valentine's Day slash, oh, I'm not going to say it, but uh, yeah, a Valentine's Day episode. And uh, we have a bit of a Valentine, Valent, Val, Jesus, Valentine's Day-ish uh, call today. So before we even get to the call, here is, follow us on social media. It's EMS 20 slash 20 on Facebook, EMS 2020 show on Instagram. And if you want your call to be uh, on this show, that's going to be EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com. It's Gmail if you didn't catch my my French pronunciation. No, I like the, yeah, I like the, I like the little spin you put on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, nice. yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's, uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, I'm a caterer for Dordache. Uh, but anyway, so <laughs> nice. Also, if you guys need continuing education and we all need continuing education, if we're in this field, then head on over to guardiancme.com and start getting it done. Uh, you can get, all of your continuing education uh, for your national recertification done on guardiancme.com for absolutely free. The National Registry has lifted the limits on online learning when it comes to, to continuing education. So, boom, no limits. Go crazy. Go nuts. Get it all for free on guardiancme.com. You don't have to sign up for anything. There's no paywall either. It's not like some is for free. Then you pay more and you get the rest. It's all free. Yeah. Everything is free. It's guardiancme.com. Go get signed up. And guess what? Some of our episodes are actually on there. Uh, so if you already listen to us, you'll love it. Go there and listen to our episodes and get continuing education just for listening to us. With that, uh, that supports the show. Every time you go to Guardian CME and sign up and watch, that uh, that supports us. But if you want to directly support the show, uh, T Public is actually where we sell all of our merchandise through. That's EMS 2020 mugs, shirts, uh, like more shirts. I think there's stickers on there as well. There's tons of EMS 2020 stuff and some new designs, hopefully around the corner shortly, that you can go there and purchase. And every time you do, that's money directly into the pockets of EMS 2020. Because it turns out doing a podcast, especially when it gets to this size, uh, is unfree. But we still give it away for free. Uh, and we're always going to. So uh, yeah. they have a t And here's the best part, though, is there's a huge sale coming up. And it's actually starting uh, at the same time that you are uh, you're hearing this, or at least the same time that this launched. And that's uh, February 9th, which is Wednesday, which is uh, the first day that this episode's available, and the first day of a Public sale, where all shirts are $13, and everything else is 35% off. I know. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's actually a really good sale. It's, it's actually you know, it's, you good. know, it's a good Valentine's Day when Chris's shirt is 35% off. Yes. <laughs> I like to wear a good midriff. Anyway, uh, so that sale is going on from the 9th to the 12th. And yeah. And here's the thing. So the, we have this episode today, but then next week 
we have an episode where we feature Nicole Johnson from the Found Down podcast. If you haven't listened to the Found Down podcast, go check it out. Uh, Nicole Johnson interviews a uh, new person every week that's in the healthcare industry. She interviews nurses, respiratory therapists, doctors. Uh, a flight paramedic, I heard, was once on the show. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I heard it was an amazing episode, uh, and it was me. So I was on there. There's also a flight nurse if you want to check that out. But, you know, I'm on there uh, as well. Uh, so Nicole is a uh, Nicole, who is a registered nurse and has been an ICU nurse for a, over a decade. I want to say like 13 years. She's been an ICU nurse for a long time. Ton of experience. We had a call that we just we needed some ICU expertise on some of the values that we were getting on this patient, like vital signs and that kind of stuff. It, it It's crazy. It's a little bit different than the way we normally do things too, because both Spencer and I racked our brains over it. And uh, yeah, so we brought her in and she's going to join us next week and you'll get to, uh, you'll get to hear that episode. It was a ton of fun to do. We've already recorded it and it was freaking awesome. So you guys are going to love it. So there's that coming next week with that Spence. Yeah, ready? dude, I'm ready. Give you me the ready. call. I want right. to hear it. Okay, uh, so here is the call. So today we have a really, as I said earlier, uh, appropriately thematic story coming from an experienced responder who just absolutely had to share this call, and I am so glad that they did. The perspective on today's episode comes from a firefighter with over 20 years of varied EMS experience. They have experience in flight, private ground ambulance, serving a 911 system, and as a firefighter. They have been a paramedic for uh, the last 10 of those 20 years, and like all amazing paramedics, they are a fan of our show. Shameless plug. Mm. Uh <laughs> So, yeah. If you want to be an amazing paramedic, you yeah. should also be a fan of this show. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. the only qualification. That's it. You don't even have to go to school anymore. You just walk into a job, you're like, you got your cert, and, like, and then just say no, but then show them your EMS 2020 mug and sticker that you can get at our EMS merch store <laughs> on tpublic.com with a sale starting right. today. Yeah. Oh, God. The, the links for that, by the way. Yeah. The links for that, by the way, uh, is in our bio on our Instagram and our Facebook page. I forgot to mention the links earlier. Oh, gotcha. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, so there it is. Uh, uh, right. Oh, man. So, but for this call, they are, they're doing the fire, the fire department side of things. Uh, so what kind of system is this? Uh, so today's system is going to sound pretty familiar to just about every first responder, at least in the United States. So while every system will have its own particulars, and Spencer and I have said this, if you have seen one EMS system, then you have seen one EMS system. Yeah, they're all true. a little bit different. Um, but today's system is in a suburbanish area uh, that is a seasonal tourist destination, uh, though this call does not take place during the tourist season. Uh, in fact, what is uh, usually a beautiful and easy to reach destination in the summer turns into a white knuckle drive across an all natural ice rink that is sometimes known as as a highway. Oh, hum, so. do you think people run into a lot? Don't of, fucking uh, say it. Don't you fucking say it. Black ice on no. the way there, Chris. <laughs> oh, God. Fuck black ice. Okay, my only problem with black ice is that I'm not saying that there's not ice. And I know I go into this every single time, but it's important because we have such space. But you know, the only black ice in this call is you bringing this up because I definitely could not see it. And it's definitely causing a derailment or a crash of thoughts. Okay. But my problem with black ice isn't that it doesn't exist. It does exist. I get it. There's ice that's hard to see. My problem with it is that every time some fucker crashes in the ice, they always say it must have been black ice. And you're like, really? There's a foot of snow over everything. If it's black ice, that would be easier to see in this one case. Or you'll be at an intersection, at like an intersection, like early in the morning when there's, you know, there's ice on the road. And here's the other thing, too. If it's below 32 degrees, it's virtually physically impossible for it to not fucking be ice on the road. OK, because if it's water below 32 degrees, it's ice. 
And you always go on these people that get in, they get in an accident. It's like, hey, 13 people have gone through this intersection in the 15 minutes that I have been here. Uh, one ended up in the pole, and that's you. I'm beginning to think it's less of an environmental factor and more of a you factor. Anyways, back to the system description. Ever, Chris, question for you. Have yeah. you ever just like pulled up to an intersection and then suddenly run through it and go like, huh, I guess I'm running this light. Thanks, Ice. <laughs> yes. But... <laughs> okay good all right uh, i've also been in an ambulance where where the brakes went out and we did the same thing and my partner said uh my uh i'm driving and my uh or my partner's driving rather and uh and he goes oh well, shit of course yeah partner he, week week yeah. well no no i mean it, it actually was and uh and we're going through it and, he, and uh we're not even we're not going code or anything we're just coming up to the light and uh, the it was us. We took off with the emergency brake on and the, the bing bong warning was broken. So it didn't warn us. And so we heated up the brakes so they wouldn't work. And oh. so he gets to the next light and it's red and he slams on the brake and he's like, oh, I can't stop. He's like, am I clear? Right. I'm like, does it matter? Like, is that <laughs> what are you going to do? I mean, I said yes. I wasn't like, but you know, I was going to tell him if we were going to die. Anyway, all right, back to the system description. So the EMS response in this area consists of several local fire departments for each of the small towns that are kind of clustered in this tourist zone. Uh, and there's one private ambulance company that serves all of these towns. And because it will play a role in today's call, the ambulance company is short-staffed, just like about everywhere else in the country right now. Uh, and probably also all the local hospitals, clinics, the dentists, Del Tacos, Arby's, everything is short-staffed. So... Mm -hmm. <clears throat> When you call 911 in this area, you will get the nearest fire department resource and the local ambulance company responding to your reported location. The fire departments may or may not have a paramedic on board, but they almost always have EMTs or EMRs on. There are a few members of the fire department that have neither, and usually these are newer volunteers that are currently in the process of obtaining either their uh, EMR or uh, EMT. Uh, if you guys aren't aware, so there's EMR and EMT, emergency medical technician, and then um, EMR is the first responder. Um, I believe it's just emergency medical responder is what that is. And it's just a uh, different scopes of practices. Okay. Uh, the EMR is a much shorter course, uh, but the scope of practice is much more narrow, uh, than say the EMT, uh, which is a little bit longer and has a broader scope. So, uh, yeah. the ambulance usually consists of a paramedic, uh, and an EMT, the private ambulance does today's fire department that is responding is a mix of volunteer and paid staff. And they run about 2000 calls a year, depending on the time of day, a responding fire unit may be staffed with on duty crew that is at the station or may be staffed by a crew that respond from home to the station, as is the case which out with our case today. Uh, so yeah, not the most unique, but it does have its little idiosyncrasies in terms of the system. Yeah. So Ooh, uh, I like that word. Yeah, I know. I looked it up. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> so there are primarily <laughs> two local hospitals in this area. There is a third uh, that's within range, I guess you could say, but they have very limited room and are better described as like a critical access hospital. Uh, and it's not really factored in today's call because the other two facilities are closer and better suited to this patient anyway. So uh, it would be a bizarre choice to go to that one. You'd have to drive farther for a less capable hospital. So fair enough. As far as the capabilities for these hospitals go, I will talk about it in terms of transport considerations. So the hospitals will often ship out the big stuff like STEMIs, traumas, and CVAs. And that's typically going to go by air to the larger resource hospitals as they are roughly two hours away by ground. So when making destination considerations, they often wind up going to the local hospital for stabilization, knowing full well the patient will be transported out. If the patient is stable enough to make the two-hour trip, or if the call is on the edge of the service area, greatly reducing the time to larger hospitals because it is a larger service area, uh, then they will just go ahead 
and uh, go on into town. Uh, but more often than not, really, regardless of what's going on with the patient, they will end up at one of these local hospitals for stabilization first. Uh, so while most of us are used to picking destinations based on their capability in this system, there's also the added consideration of patient stability. So it isn't just how capable is the nearest facility, it's could the patient make it farther? And sure, stability is a common consideration with uh, in a lot of systems, but you're typically making decisions between a hospital that's 10 minutes away or one that's 30 minutes away. In this case, it's one that's 20 minutes away or one that is two hours away. So I do yeah. want to give the responders in this system a little bit of credit for having to make uh, that level of uh, decision with that yeah. added layer. So it's something we don't, not a lot of us really have to deal with. So, all right. Any questions about the uh, system, Spence, before we move on? No, I got it. Let's do it. Boom. All right. So here's a call. So before we even get into nicknames, uh, I think I've probably already given away the theme, uh, but I think it's time I just finally say it out loud. Uh, it's it's a theme that I think we may have done before, but I'm not sure. But it's something that we surprisingly have not done, at least in a while. And uh, while I am unsure if we should be worried about getting a cease and desist uh, from the parent company, the parent mouse, uh, I have uh, I have heard of them being issued in, a, in like some very petty manners by the holders of this intellectual property that I'm about to reference. Uh, but we're going to do it anyways because we're bold. Yeah, we're strong. We're bold. Um, yeah. And I think everyone knows that I'm talking about the fan favorite culture defining saga of films that all started with episode four, oddly enough, back in the 70s. Yeah. And Star that is War. Star Dispute. Star Dispute. Star Dispute. Star Dispute. Yeah. No, you're right. Yep. Let's not piss off yep. Disney. Let's not. Right. Yeah. Yep. Star Dispute. Piss off who? <laughs> Disney? I yep. have no idea who that is. Yep. <laughs> Star Dispute. Right. That's way. <laughs> Star Dispute. All right. So that's. That's that's it. That's right. Today's call comes oh, nice. from the aforementioned uh, flight slash ground slash fire paramedic that we shall call Luke Skyprancer. Skyprancer <laughs> is busy farming moisture uh, at around 2200 at his home when he receives an alert for a call. Recognizing the time of day and realizing that he and his ways with uh, medicine are a hot commodity, he warps to the station where he meets the rest of his crew. His crew consists of himself, an EMT, and the apparatus operator, also known as driver to some, Ron Solo, who has about one year of experience... <laughs> And new to the fold, Jar Jar Winks. It is important to note that Winks. Oh. <laughs> no. It is important to note that Winks is a non-EMS volunteer. They have not yet completed their EMR training. And this may make you wonder what role Jar Jar is playing as a non-EMS responder on an EMS call. You may wonder how this will possibly fit in, or if even including Jar Jar in the episode was necessary in the first fucking place. Maybe you'll feel that we could completely remove Jar Jar from the episode entirely, not changed a damn thing, and all of the major points of the movie, I mean episode, would essentially be the fucking same. Maybe the episode would actually be a decent one if Jar Jar never fucking existed. But that's too harsh. And I want to point out that responding on such a call, even if you have no EMS certification and you're a volunteer with the fire department, can be very valuable to the crew because sometimes an extra pair of hands can really go a long way. And it's also valuable to you as a responder. So we shall include them and not make any rash judgments this early on in the story. Uh <laughs> If this ends up getting played uh, to Jar Jar Winks, no hard feelings. Uh, you may have, you may have picked up you may have picked up that that wasn't really about you. Uh, I am glad that you're volunteering and that you're on this call. So, <laughs> thank you for your service, Jar Jar. Yeah. Thank uh, you. So this is probably a good time to mention that the ambulance company in the area is inundated with calls and their response is going to be delayed. Uh, due to the location of the call, there really isn't a closer mutual aid option uh, available either. Luke knows that they may be on their own for some time. 
hmm, I wonder if old Ken could help them. <laughs> uh, no, unfortunately, it's just going to be Luke today. I think Luke would have liked an old Ken, um, but no old Ken is. Uh, yeah, he's is just available. a kooky old man anyway. Yeah, anyway. exactly. <laughs> well, same people start easily. Anyway, so uh, all three. <laughs> All three board their fire apparatus, dubbed the Millennial Falcon. Um, it's just like the other one, except it's... Except it whines. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's entirely dependent upon systems that were built by the uh, prior one, uh, but unfortunately it can't become uh, independent of those systems or due to a wage that is not kept up with the economy. So um, with True. that, the Millennial Falcon, unable to buy a house uh, and piloted by Ron Solo at the controls... Uh, they received the readback on, on their way to the call. It includes the typical information of location and response status, but the patient information gets a little unique. And I don't know the entire readback, but the standout info was this. They were responding to a 33-year-old male acting erratically. Now, I would like to point out that this is the exact verbiage that came over, uh, and acting erratically is not a call type in this area or in their dispatch uh, center. So, Spencer, just hearing that, knowing this is not a typical call type, what are some of the thoughts that are going through your head uh, as you arrive? I, I mean, my first thought is the dispatcher's going like, I, I, I don't know what, like, I don't know what to, like, how to how to categorize this uh so yeah here we go uh erratic uh which you know great word right yeah. um this is a boring I conversation anyway <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have company um <laughs> but i i think the the problem with this uh erratic is a there's a range of behaviors possible behaviors that kind of could go along with the erratic Very and true. so and some of those might be unsafe so like legitimately if like the description is hey like we have a person behaving erratically uh there's, there's a concern potentially there about scene safety um okay you know as you go in so that would be something i'd be cognizant of gotcha uh, well and dispatch felt the same on this one and so that prompted the response of two police officers to go as well oh okay so. Yeah, uh, it takes our crew the longer than usual uh, to get on scene. It's uh, about 14 minutes total time. And the officers are actually first in just by a few minutes. So to describe how our crew enters the scene, I am simply going to quote uh, Luke Skyprancer because it's pretty fucking perfect. So Luke Skyprancer says, because we're the fire department, we carry kits for every possible circumstance. So we get off the engine uh, looking like we're going to hike the Himalayas. Our giant S Pelican uh, ILS, that's um, interme uh, intermediate life support, uh, or jump kit, airway backpack, heart monitor, ALS medication box, tactical clipboard, radio purses, and emergency essential oil kits. There's just lots of shit. Uh, so I, <laughs> I really like that. And by the way, fuck Pelican boxes. I know there are people that are huge fans of them. They're like, it's a flotation device. I'm like, I don't need it to float. If I'm using <laughs> it to flow then the call's fucked who cares yeah a life jacket well, like. is the same thing and is half the weight not even half it's like a like a <laughs> minuscule fraction <laughs> what i like is the tactical clipboard yeah that's the uh, best, i want to i want to i want a clipboard bandolier yeah, anyway. there, you, there you go i hope it has like sharp edges so you can throw it uh, anyway, so these kits, so the ILS kit, that's going to be, you know, in there, you're going to be, you're going to have a lot of like, you're going to have your manual blood pressure cuff, your CBG, your IV starting uh, equipment. Uh, some other medications are going to be in there as well. You know, the airway backpack, that's your oxygen. That's going to be your BBM, your oxygen delivery devices, nebulizer stuff. Heart monitor is a heart monitor, uh, and, but it also has uh, probably an NIBP cuff on it, as well as an SAO2. You have the ALS medication box. That's going to be, you know, your advanced life support medications, uh, which are going to be a lot 
lot of like your code drugs, those kind of things. And the tactical clipboard, I mean, obviously we know what that is. So that's the kits. All right, so our team makes their way uh, into the home, which is described as a well-kept single-story home in a nice little cul-de-sac neighborhood. They lug in a small country's worth of EMS equipment into the back room where they find the patient accompanied by the two responding police officers. The cops have been there only a few minutes and they say uh, that this is pretty much how the patient has been since they got here. The patient is described as a stout 33-year-old male that, quote, could break us if he wanted to and is prone, that's belly down, on the bed with his head looking up around the room, kind of like a human submarine with a periscope just kind of popping up and observing things. Uh, Apparently, he has that post-ictal look. And I know the post-ictal look. The post-ictal look basically is you have a person who is trying to make sense of normal things around them. Like you can see it in their mm, face. Yeah. Like they're, they're glancing around the room, looking at perfectly normal things. And just, they have that. What the fuck is that? And it's like, well, you're staring at a lamp, you know, like that's, that's kind of the post to look just utter confusion about everything around them. So yeah. the patient's wife is in the room next to him and is incredibly distraught over the situation, which makes sense. Our crew introduces themselves to her and she responds by giving them the ever so vague. Something is wrong and he is not acting right. So, Hmm. all right, Spencer, how would you categorize this patient and what information are you going after? How are you going to start aiming your assessment? And I know it's early on, but I want to know how the force is guiding you. (laughs) Nice, nice. Um, Yeah, so before we get to that point, I think we should take an opportunity to touch on something important about like altered mental status patients. Like the kindest, sweetest grandmother can turn to the dark side when her sugar gets low. Yeah, right? Yeah, nice. (laughs) Glad you knew this. Yeah. Uh, Oh, they feel the hate flow through Um, (laughs) or, you know, like or if they're head injured or, you know, like if they're altered for any reason, like we haven't mentioned this on this show before, I I think. But when you approach altered patients, you need to be aware that they could respond erratically uh, like they were dispatched. But as for the condition... I would just call this like an, I would call this alter mental status and start asking a ton of questions while we get some vitals and do an assessment on the patient. Uh, Cause you know, mm. altered mental status is all kind of have like their own little flavor. And we kind of want to figure out what flavor of altered mental status this patient has. Right. So, you know, I start with the, Hey, uh, you know, Avpu, are they alert to verbal pain or are they unresponsive? It sounds like this patient is at least alert because they're looking around very confused with that postictal thing. So then we want to kind of assess like, hey, person, place, time and event. Do they know where they are, who they are? you know, what day, what time, and the events that are sort of like recently have recently occurred. Um, You know, do do they obey commands and like, or like what kinds of commands will or can they obey? And just really quick, when we say event, uh, usually particularly that is, do you remember what happened? Like, do you know why we're here? That kind of stuff. Like if you have somebody, it's like, hey, do you know why we're here? They're like, I have no idea. And it's because they fell and hit their head. They're not oriented to events. Sometimes there's weird questions. Like people be like, all right, let's ask them who the president is. It's actually not, it doesn't orient the person to person, place, time, or event. Kind of time, I guess. Like you could hit the last four years, I guess, with that. But um, yeah. anyway, so moving on. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and then what I really want to assess for on my physical assessment is like, do we have like indications of a CVA? Do we have, you know, like uh, concerning vitals, um, you know, like including Chris, a CBG. Good job, buddy. Uh, yeah. Heart candy, baby. Um <laughs> What, you know, and then we want to know, like, what history they have. Do they have a history of the, like, previous events that are similar to this one? Are there any, like, seen context clues? You know, like, are they laying around a bunch of drugs? Yeah. Um, you know, and then 
importantly, like, hey, when's the last time anybody saw them normal? So then what is normal for that patient? Yeah. Uh, so there's a ton of things to assess here. Um, and so, yeah, I like I let's I want to know. I want to find out what's going on. Did he have a seizure? You know, what's going on? Yeah. So that's that's all good. That's exactly kind of what I'm thinking. That's the thing about altered mental status is it's uh, it, like just about anything that that can affect your body can in some way shape or form wind up in altered mental status i feel like it's again it's another like what is it degrees of kevin bacon like you can always link kevin bacon to a movie you can always link a disease to altered mental status eventually so (laughs) sky prancer does their best uh figurative stick poke by starting with uh, assessing the level of consciousness kind of like you are. Uh, He attempts to get a verbal response by asking questions, but the patient isn't really responding. There is the occasional incomprehensible mumble, uh, but nothing else Hmm. aside from the patient uh, shifting positions in bed. The patient does seem to look around when questions are asked, but they can't really seem to track our responders or focus on anything. Uh, Skyprancer asks the patient if they could check vitals, including a pulse and blood pressure. Again, no answer, but as Skyprancer and his crew approach uh, to take these measurements, the patient did not really seem to pull away or even really react to their existence. So interesting. Yeah. There's nothing truly remarkable about the patient's skin as even noted. Uh, paleness, fleshness, cyanosis is difficult to assess due to the patient's darker skin complexion. But sky prancer does note that the skin does not appear to be diaphoretic. Radio pulses are present and there's good distal cap refill in the nail beds noted. Uh, nice. respirations were quiet, unlabored and at a normal rate. Ron Solo begins to check a blood pressure on the patient using our beloved NIBP cuff, um, which, by the way, <laughs> if you ever have a monitor and you're not sure which button is the NIBP cuff button, it's whichever one is worn out. So if, so if all of this, so if they all have icons and there's one that's missing its icon, that's the NIBP cuff button. Just press that one. Trust me, you're, you're going to be set. So... <laughs> and Ron Solo does that while Sky Prancer begins to gather more, a more thorough uh, HPI, thus highlighting why this is indeed the perfect episode for the Valentine's Day season. So, <clears throat> light some mm. candles. Yeah. All right. Light some candles, scatter some rose petals, cue some Marvin Gaye, Barry White, Michael Buble, whatever. Because here we go. So basically, they're doing it. And everything <laughs> seems to be- hold, on, hold on. When you say they... I'm yeah. assuming this is not like the providers and responders. No, like this is the history, like past tense, man. Happened oh, before. okay. All right. We're Jesus. traveling back in time. All right. This is <laughs> they didn't knock on the door. <laughs> Suddenly say, <laughs> someone have an emergency. <laughs> the pizza guy shows up like, oh, man. <laughs> Too late. Just leave, please. Boy, this episode changed. Actually, it didn't. This was kind of the direction I thought it would go. It just went there faster than I. Damn. All right. So when you say they, just oh. to clarify. The patient and his wife. Which there I would point go. out zero people needed clarification on that. So they're doing it. And everything seems to be going just fine when suddenly he just seems to zone out. She described it as like a dazed or a far off look that happened like mid coitus. Uh, he then just kind of starts behaving oddly. Any, uh, hmm. any, th- I shouldn't ask you. Never mind. I was going to ask you if you had thoughts at this point about what that could be, but I, I, well, I, I mean, like, I mean, all, in all seriousness, sleep like, this, this could be concerning. You know, like, th- I mean, this could be like a seizure. Um, you know, like a, a simple seizure, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a, you know, a partial complex seizure, uh, like th- there could be a tumor. Like, I don't know. There's there, something is concerning here. Like that's, yeah. that's a pretty weird behavior. So the, th- yeah, the I, thing about it for me is, is, is just, it's so sudden. 
Like it, it's not it's not like it's been gradually onset throughout the day. It's just like everything was going fine and then Exactly. And then yeah. it just suddenly suddenly he stopped. So I am holding back so many jokes right now. I gotta move this on. Uh, but yes, Luke did ask about seizure activity and like clonic-tonic movements, shaking, or any other descriptor that people commonly use to describe convulsions, uh, and came up empty. Uh, patient was also not incontinent. So next is the patient's medical history. So Spence, unless you have any questions about the exam before we move on. No, I, I, I want to hear more about, yeah, I want to hear more in medical history. I want to get, I want all this stuff and vitals. Uh, yeah. what, what vitals? They got vitals. What were they? Uh, well, they were getting vitals, so they're not done oh, yet. Oh, gotcha. Right. Okay. So we just finished uh, hearing the history. Uh, and so uh, Luke, uh, well, hearing the history of the present illness. So then Luke decides, hey, it's time to ask about the patient's medical history, which is super boring. So there's no diabetes. There's no seizure history. There is no history of stroke. Uh, there is no history of STEMI, no breathing problems. There is nothing. Uh, well, I wouldn't say nothing, but, you know, the patient has some chronic back pain and they complained hmm. about it earlier in the day. But I didn't get the impression that the patient's wife really found that particularly noteworthy. They did smoke marijuana earlier today, but this is in a state where it's actually legal to do that. And there are legal dispensaries available. And I say that because when you're getting your drugs off the black market, knowing what's in them is, is a little more dubious. I'm not saying it's perfect with legal dispensaries, but yeah. I'm saying it's definitely not perfect with illegal. Doobie. Ones. Yeah. Nah, nice. yeah. 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 I didn't intend that, but there it is. So no other drug or alcohol use uh, noted. And the patient takes no medications and has no known allergies. So Skyprancer continues to investigate and learns that there is no recent trauma. Patient was recently diagnosed with COVID, uh, but that has resolved for over like three weeks and the patient has no current COVID symptoms. All right. Um, do we know if he was admitted for COVID symptoms or like the severity of those symptoms? Uh, this I, I do not know. And I did not think to ask. So, right. yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. You don't get to know. But what I do know is now we do have our first set of vital signs. Hey, so all right. here you go. Uh, heart rate, 99. Blood pressure, 135 over 76. Uh, SAO2 on room air is 94%. Respiratory rate is 16, unlabored. And CBG is 136. So mm. what's millimoles? I did not do the millimoles. Uh, let me go ahead and do it in millimoles. Give me just a second. It's divide by 18, correct? That is correct. All right, perfect. Which I think is actually the one that actually brought that to EMS 2020. That, that you formula. did. You were. You yeah. were the one who introduced that. Yeah. Uh, so 7.5 millimoles for this guy. So that's, right. uh, it's, yeah, pretty unremarkable. I'm not too concerned about that CBG. Um, so let's kind of talk about Spence. Like at this point, what do you hmm. think might be going on? Well, I mean, I, my big concern here is like that there's some sort of like seizure event. Um, right. Know, like, that, that would be kind of based on the the history and the presentation that we have or the, you know, the <clears throat> based on the history of present illness and, you know, like his, his sort of how he's acting now with this sort of postictal state that seems to be that, that kind of jives like lines up, but you know, I can't rule out, like, I know that they said like, Hey, you know, um, all he's done is smoke weed. It, it's possible that perhaps there's more involved, but we won't get to know that. But, you know, like that's also a possibility too. Especially um, with police present. I totally understand being like, well, it's weed and heroin, but we're just going to stick to weed. So like. for sure. Uh, yeah. And, and that's, you know, the downside of police being there sometimes is like people won't be as open about uh, things that they might be surprisingly open about to medical care providers. So, um, yeah. Um, oh, hey, uh, did they ever check pupils? 
Oh, yeah, they did. Sorry, my bad. Uh, four millimeters reactive, so boring. Ah, so, darn it. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat, though, I think, uh, as you, like, at this point. Um, the big things that I worry about when it comes to altered LSD, like, my top three that I, I want to get rid of, well, it's kind of my top one category, that is, is the brain getting fuel, okay? Because when yeah. the brain doesn't get fuel, then it it behaves erratically. So the big things I always check is, all right, is it oxygenated? Yeah, 94%. I mean, it could be better than 94%, but I mean, like that's not, 94% yeah. would not account for what I'm seeing here. Next thing is, uh, you know, is it getting blood supply, period? Is it getting blood up there? We got a good blood pressure. The skin does not seem abnormal in any way. Blood pressure is fine. Heart rate, 99, but I mean, that's not, I mean, considering there's probably a bit of anxiety going on because the brain is like, what the fuck? Uh, and yeah. trying to make sense of like the totally normal things around them. Um, you know, that's the heart rate's fine. Um, and then, you know, the next thing that I worry about is sugar and the sugar is 136. So all those big things and like the easy fixes, not necessarily easy fixes, yeah. but like the, the big red flags, those are all and, covered. So I start looking for things like, like you said, like seizure really is fitting the bill. Uh, and yeah. then CVA, I think would be the next worst thing. I was going to ask about the, like, did they notice, like, were they able to do a stroke assessment? I know he was sort of like, not necessarily like complying, um, but not really like fighting them either. Did they notice any unilateral weakness or, you know, any kind of great question. So they do end up doing a stroke assessment later. We'll kind of, we'll, I'll kind of dovetail that into the story uh, when it happens, or at least they discuss trying okay. to do one, but because the patient, just won't follow any commands. They kind of can't do one. But in terms of, now we've talked about this on the show too, is just because you can't do a stroke assessment doesn't mean you can't assess for stroke uh, in terms of like observing how extremities are moving. And that is kind of one of the things that you can notice. Are we moving exactly. all the extremities? This patient totally was. This patient was actually able to okay. move themselves uh, quite a bit. Uh, so, yeah. and before you ask, they also considered a 12 lead. Um, <laughs> but, and we'll kind of get to why that wasn't obtainable. But kind of my last thing is, you know, the other thing that I, I always think about is like, any recent trauma, you know, did we bump our head yeah. earlier? Like, you know, we complained of back pain earlier, but you know, like, is that cause we fell and hit our head, you know, like that kind of stuff. So For let's sure. kind of move on with, uh, with what they did. So yeah, they considered that 12 lead, uh, but it's not really obtainable because the patient was actually like super mobile, not really combative, mind you, but that altered, like can't sit still fidget, you know, occasionally requiring the crew to like stabilize an arm to get a vital sign kind of mobile. Okay. Uh, if they were lucky, the patient would occasionally hold their arm still when asked, but it never lasted to the point that I wonder, and this isn't what Luke said. This is what I'm saying. I wonder if it was just like the patient just happened to stop moving for that brief period of time and then, you know, just had nothing to do with them. Maybe it's like placebo. I don't know. Uh, oh, gotcha. So, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, I should also point out at this point that the patient was found fully dressed. Uh, so, yeah, um, the wife actually dressed the patient before EMS arrived. And I'm going to say this is actually some weirdly common shit that happens in EMS. Um, and I also... Uh, want Sorry. to no you're fine uh, and I also want to note that this uh, this observation made to me by uh, Luke Skyprancer uh, actually denotes kind of pro level situational awareness because you have to get the, the newest of the new will just accept the story and then kind of move on it's the yeah. ones that have been around a while it's like so if you guys were doing this like why is he dressed you know like mm -hmm. why? Who, who yeah. put, how did he get clothes on because that's actually a really good thing it's like well if he's able to get his own clothes on he's probably deteriorated then because right now he's definitely wouldn't be able to get his own clothes on but no the wife uh in all of her might uh dressed him before the patient got there because there are you, you will get that where it's like they'll be sitting there and be like oh gosh i think something's terribly wrong i've got to get them in some clothes and that's the first yeah. thing they'll do because they don't Before want people to show up. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. that's to some people that is that is the <laughs> worst thing ever is to be seen naked by people you don't know. So uh, shortly after the hard fought vital signs were obtained, things actually get a little bit 
more interesting. The patient, in spite of all their wiggliness, has a brief, sudden, unexplained period of stillness lasting like five seconds tops. Their gaze is fixed to the up, uh, up and right, and their left hand begins to tremor. Unfortunately, the oh. wife's attention, yeah, uh, <laughs> but here's the sad part. The wife's attention is diverted elsewhere. So when Luke's like, hey, is this what he did? She's like, I, what, what do you mean? Do what? And then looks back and he's not doing it anymore. So yeah, yeah, she wasn't really okay. there, there to compare. But yeah, so we have this kind of like uh, what Luke described as what looked kind of like a focal motor seizure with the left hand involved. Uh, so at this point, the transporting ambulance arrives and Luke gives a thoughtful handoff uh, to the transporting paramedic. We're going to call paramedic yogurt. Uh, yogurt and Luke talk about, uh, like what the fuck could possibly be going on with this patient. Generally, they both agree that CVA is on the table, which is a stroke. Uh, but yogurt also adds an additional idea and suggests that this could be a marijuana overdose. More on that later. And I okay. will say that while it, yeah, it's not my primary con uh, consideration. Um, but it's, it's not actually the craziest idea out there, but there are some reasons why it probably isn't the case in this case. Um, but it is worth yeah. discussing and we're going to, okay. Uh, with that, Yogurt goes to start uh, an IV, and at this time, I also want to note that Luke Skyprancer also happens to be a red leader, and because Luke Skyprancer is red leader in this case, uh, they are also responsible for monitoring the rest of their service area, even while on other calls, and because they're really kind of the only fire apparatus in their town, uh, I should also mention at this point a fire call. There's something on fire drops. There's another medical call that drops in the area. And so Sky Prancer is like, oh, fuck, because uh, we're it. Like, we are the things that are going to be responding to this. I mean, like, the cops are going to go put the fire out. And let's be let's be honest, like, the fire thing is kind of the fire department's job. So, yeah, yeah they end up loading our patient onto, uh, it's called a mega mover. If you're not familiar with that and you listen to this show, it's basically a large, uh, like, tarp with handles. And you put people on them and you carry them out. So they carry the patient out. And uh, they do, and again, like they couldn't really perform the CVA assessment because the guy wouldn't listen, um, but he did move all of his extremities and they load the okay. patient into the ambulance. Uh, they go ahead and uh, take off and, uh, you know, they go to the hospital and Luke goes to the fire call, which actually just turned out, turned out to be a dryer vent that was blowing. Um, that was it. <laughs> so they cleared that. But this call really stumped Luke. They were just kind of like, yeah, like everything was fine on this guy. I just want to know. So he ends up calling uh, <laughs> Wise Yogurt and as Aston says, like, hey, like what ended up happening with that guy? And Yogurt's like, yeah, we, we dropped him off and had to cut and run, too. But he did get a little bit more uh, combative on the way in, like nothing we couldn't handle. No one got hurt. But yeah, he ended up really not liking uh, the whole uh, the whole thing about um, about being transported and that kind of stuff. But then, oh, go ahead. I was going to ask, did like he become more conversive during the transport? Did they say? Because he wasn't really, he sounds like conversive. And then no. he had that sort of like focal seizure thing, which I'm well, assuming resolved. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it resolved. It lasted less than five seconds. Okay. That focal oh, that's seizure right. bit. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. And so, uh, so according to Luke, on the way out to the, to the ambulance, there was another set of vitals done. Uh, they didn't get another blood pressure, but all the other vitals, the ones that are like continuously monitored, um, stayed within the sit, like within, you know, reasonable margins of what they got before um right. nothing really changed clinically uh or meant or, or in his mentation as they loaded him but according to the transporting medic uh he did slowly begin to kind of return to baseline on the way into the hospital and started to kind of become normal and calm down so got a head ct and lab work done at the hospital per the transporting porting medic though we don't know exactly what lab work was done but mm -hmm. everything came back totally clean everything oh, was normal the head ct was completely 
fine. Uh, and the ER was also just kind of like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. Um, and they didn't really have a great diagnosis. They were working to discharge him uh, with what they were essentially calling transient global amnesia. Uh, hmm. Yeah. And we're going to talk about exactly what that means in this episode. Uh, so, Spence, you want to do the recap? So, essentially, you have a uh, gang of rebels. Uh, rebel oh, scum. Gotcha. Rebel yeah. scum. <laughs> I mean, rebel pond scum. Because... Mm, mm. uh, Good cover. Yeah. yeah oof. <laughs> we were close there. Uh, who get dispatched to a 33-year-old who is reported to be acting erratically. Um, police are uh, also dispatched because it sounds like it's just weird. Uh, they get there and they find a gentleman who isn't really conversive, who just seems really confused and is trying to appears to be like trying to make sense of everything. Uh, they end up doing uh, getting like some history on the gentleman, which involves like, hey, this started when they were mid coitus um, and that ended the coitus. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, <laughs> so. You know, nothing seems to be really hitting in any of their assessments uh, or their history. Um, And they do have this one sort of weird moment where the patient does appear to have like seizure like activity for about five seconds. Uh, But thankfully, uh, wise old yoga shows up. Yogurt. Yogurt. Oh, I should have done yoga instead. That's so much better. Oh, all right. Well, I was doing the the Spaceballs reference. For those that have seen Spaceballs. So, anyway. Yeah, Lord Helmet. uh, Yeah. Yep. Uh, Yeah, and they show up. uh, They transfer over care. Sounds like an IV has started, and they take them to the hospital. The patient is initially sort of like combative, but then seems to, during the transport, uh, kind of return to a baseline of sorts. And at the hospital, uh, they don't. They don't find anything that explains this event that yeah. you know transpired. <laughs> and so they end up sounds like diagnosing him with something called transient global amnesia. Yeah, you wrote it down correctly. All right. So let's kind of dig into some first thoughts before we get started into the lesson and just kind of talk about some things uh, that went well or didn't go well. Kind of over overview the call. So here's one of the things that I want to say. My overall impression of how well this call was done. I'm pretty impressed. I think everything was done kind of in accordance. I don't see any big misses on any of the providers uh, parts in this. Now, there might be a lot of you guys out there that are like, well, I mean, it's basically a non-critical, like a guy, like a stable vital signs, older LOC, like how do you kind of fuck that up? And my answer to that is super fucking easily. Oh yeah. Um, that's, yeah. That's the easiest ones to fuck up. Cause oh, yeah. there's like, yeah, there's no, yeah, <laughs> there's no motivation to do a good job sometimes. <laughs> like, well, he's not going to die. So we're just not going to get a history. Um, this, that's actually what this really is where, like. yeah, this, this is where the dark side, like, comes out and goes like you can just fourth year medic this you don't oh, have yeah. to do an assessment give it to your <laughs> yeah. basic anyway so uh god don't don't give all the LSU patients to your basic um so yeah so i really actually appreciate that how thorough this was done in spite yeah. of the fact that life-saving interventions probably weren't on the horizon in fact i mean chemical restraint was probably going to be more likely than anything else um but Let's see if we're kind of going through. Let's kind of let's kind of pick out some of the highlights, though. There are some extra some extra steps. So one of the things that I really liked is that Luke Skyprancer made a lot of safety conscious decisions. 
instead of just kind of like charging in there. And that that does kind of speak to their experience. Remember, this is a someone who's been in the industry for 20 years and on the way in, they're thinking about, oh, okay, erratic. This is weird. This sounds bizarre. So their their alerts already up. Even when they get into the patient, you know, they're kind of doing like this from a distance, like, hey, do you hear me? And they're approaching the patient carefully and they're and they're talking to the patient. I love that. Even though the patient's yep. clearly altered, they're talking to the patient and telling the patient what's going to happen. Uh, because what you don't want to do is you already have someone who's altered and trying to figure out normal things. Don't give them surprises. Like, don't like pop up and throw, yeah. a, you know, throw a blood pressure cuff on suddenly talk. And so that was all good. Did it make a difference? I don't know. Probably not. But it's a good habit to get into. Uh, also, I want to touch on something else. I really like the skin assessment on this patient. And here's why. A lot of our skin assessment has to do with the color of the skin, which is much, much easier on white people. Unfortunately, we kind of train as though all of our patients are going to be white. Uh, a lot of the uh, training in our classes are kind of centered around that. But when you get patients of darker complexion, it's not that there aren't skin changes that are observable, even with color. Cyanosis, uh, flushness, and, um, and paleness can be observed, uh, even in people of color. But it is less pronounced than people with paler complexions. So yeah. we need to do a much more thorough assessment and look at things like nail beds, gum lines, focus on the lips, focus on areas uh, like that to really try and get a good assessment of what is going on. And that is what this medic did. It can be really easy to kind of forego these things just because the skin changes that we were trained to observe uh, are not as pronounced. So yeah. uh, good job on doing a thorough skin assessment and making yeah. sure that they absolutely got a good one in there. And by the way, if you're in a paramedic program right now that actually like covers these topics of, you know, like, um, you know, darker complexion skin, um, and like looks at ways to, you know, teaches you ways to assess that, like, let us know because a lot of programs like don't, or, you right. know, they, again, we're, we're training on like, like the white little, you know, orphan Annie, what is yeah. it? The, the, yeah. Here's <laughs> your patient, this white plastic 20 year old male, which none of our <laughs> patients are any of those things, by the way. Well, I mean, male, I guess, but you know, they're not made yeah. of plastic. They're not in their twenties. Sometimes they are, but it's rare. Uh, and not all of them are white. So yeah. yeah. And the other big like EMS 2020 thing is great job getting follow-up. We love that. Uh, Follow-up is something that's so important in this job. If you don't call, you won't know. Uh, we assume so often in this thing that, oh, hey, if I did something really wrong, someone's going to call and tell me. They won't. They don't have time. No one has time. And they have less time now. And that was true when people had more time. And so it's even more true now. So great job getting follow-up on Luke Skype Answers uh, part, especially on these calls that are kind of simpler. I, mean, I, I admit I know a lot of people, probably myself included, at some point in my career anyway, that would have just been like, and I'm just going to delete this call from my mind and move on to getting food at the 7-Eleven. There's a spicy right. bite rolling around on that heater with my name on it, and that's all I want. <laughs> so, For sure. Yeah. Spence, uh, Spence, what are your takeaways so far? I, no, I really like that. I the big things to me were the I like I love the like, hey, we're gonna like, hey, is it okay if we take vitals? And then sort of like waiting to see if the patient responds, and then sort of like tepidly testing the water and seeing if they'll let you take vitals. And I like that's that is a really good approach. I like that approach. Um, like you said, the communication pieces are good. I like the I really like the like they did a thorough job on the history taking, it sounds like. Um, you know, and they like it sounds like they would have tried to get more like if they had a more compliant patient. They would have tried to, you know, do a, you know, more, I guess, official stroke scale. But I mean, given the behavior and sort of the response of the patient, they are moving all their limbs 
Um, you know what I mean? Like that, that's a really good thing. And they equally and appear to be equal strength. Um, I, I, I think this was a really remarkable call. Um, yeah, it's well done. It was. Yeah, so, and, we're not, and here's the thing. We don't sit here and try and find ways to be nice. In fact, our job is to find holes and shit. So if we're saying it was a good job, it's a good job. I yeah. always like to bring up the uh, I see dead people call where basically this paramedic came in and single handedly ran two codes and was a oh, fucking yeah. boss. And we're Put still in shame. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We could never do as good of a job. At the very end, we're still like, I would have chose a different sedative. Um, <laughs> well, right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I would have chosen a different sedative. <laughs> but aside from that, you know. Uh, yeah. So so if we're not even saying that, then this is a really well done job. So uh, good job. So let's talk a little bit about that marijuana the marijuana cigarettes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The devil's lettuce. The oh, my goodness. Lettuce. My favorite thing is there. I want to say it's a cheese and chong skit. Of course it is. And it's uh, there's a cop. He's like a, at the front of a at the front of a classroom. You're like, does anyone know what this is? He's holding a joint. And everyone's like, doobie reefer. You know, like all these different uh, nicknames for him. He goes wrong. This is a marijuana cigarette and it kills. <laughs> and that's my favorite <laughs> fucking line. All right. So. Nice. Was yogurt? Oh yeah, uh, it won't. Uh, so here's the thing. So was yogurt right in saying like, "Hey, this could be a marijuana uh, overdose"? Well, yes and no. So here's the thing. What I want to say is that as of now, according to the CDC uh, in the United States, there has been no deaths reported from a marijuana overdose. Now, according to a Medscape article and to the CDC, uh, this is this does not mean that marijuana and its overuse is safe. What it does mean is that there's no reported mechanism that we know of or have observed in which marijuana can kill somebody through overdose. That differs from, say, a narcotic, like, say, oxycodone or heroin, Mm -hmm. where uh, they have a specific mechanism that suppresses the CNS and reduces the respiratory rate and causes people to die eventually of hypoxia because their brain says, yeah, I don't need oxygen anymore. I'm good. Uh, When it really does. And then they die. That's how it goes. There isn't a mechanism uh, present in marijuana that does that. That being said, it doesn't mean that taking too much marijuana can't kill you. But in cases where people have died after using excessive, and I mean excessive, amounts of marijuana, it's usually due to overdose effects impacting other pre-existing conditions, such as patients who have a history of stroke or hypertension. These patients especially should be a little more cautious when using marijuana. Even still, in those populations, it's very, very rare. So, how dangerous? What is a what constitutes a marijuana uh, overdose? There's not a ton of data on this. Actually, there isn't a hard line that we know of because it's been very difficult to research for a very, very long time due to restrictions on its legality. Uh, however. Symptoms are reported at extreme dosages of, say, 330 milligrams, a normal dose that a that your average typical user would be around 10 milligrams of THC, which is the active ingredient in marijuana. Mm-hmm. So 330 milligrams is an excessive is a party. Amount. Yeah, yeah, that is, that, that, is, that that's a party <laughs> for everybody. That is an excessive amount of marijuana. And in those cases, we see things like extreme anxiety, psychosis, tachycardia, increased blood pressure. And those are the things that if you have pre-existing conditions, heart conditions and stroke, it's not good for you. And that in and of itself could lead to death. So here's the thing is thinking marijuana use could cause an altered mental status. Uh, insane? Absolutely not. It certainly isn't. Um, yeah. But it's going to be pretty unlikely, I feel, in this case, because unless you have a substantial amount of evidence uh, to to show that there's been an excessive amount of marijuana use, 
it's really going to be pretty low uh, on the scale. So, yeah. Yeah. I would, I would expect it like if marijuana were more of a factor here, I'd expect a patient to be like really more anxious. Mm-hmm. I would expect their heart rate to be higher, their blood pressure to be higher. I, like I, I would expect more symptoms, I guess, but yeah, I could be wrong. Yeah. Well, but well, it actually sounds like you're right according to the CDC. So, um, yeah, oh. you would expect kind of those, those things, which this patient didn't have. I mean, none of these vital signs were off the charts. Um, so really quick, just to kind of find a, a something else here. One of the things that has kind of propped up uh, in some of the literature is, does marijuana use increase the likelihood of having a stroke? Uh, That's actually been popular. And there are papers that go either way. There are statements that go either way. They all have problems. Um, But so the American Heart Association finally weighed in uh, by this uh, publication in July of 2021. So very, very recent. Uh, What they did was they took a population based control study with 1090 cases and 1152 controls uh, were used to investigate the relationship of marijuana use and an early onset ischemic stroke. What they ended up finding, this was their conclusion, is that the analysis of all of these cases uh, do not demonstrate demonstrate an association between marijuana use and an increased risk of early onset ischemic stroke. Although statistical power was limited for assessing the association among very heavy users. So there's still not a ton of data, but in general, it does appear to seem fairly conclusively with this being the most robust study of its type, um, that normal marijuana use does not increase the risk of stroke. And so that's kind of why I say like, hey, like is considering marijuana use a problem insane? 100% no, especially with the kind of confusing literature out there and the patient and CVA possibly being on the table for what's going on with this patient. I don't think it's an out there assumption, or at least it's a reasonable uh, thing to think about, but it's not actionable. And in this case, it is probably wrong. Okay. So, yeah. Anyway, so there you go. That's kind of the breakdown uh, on marijuana. So let's kind of move on a little bit and let's talk about that diagnosis, which is actually kind of a non-diagnosis, really. Uh, but transient global amnesia. So Medscape what, describes this. Yeah, what the this, fuck is this, man? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm glad you asked that precise question. So Medscape Medscape describes it as a paroxysmal transient loss of memory function. Now, strangely, their ability to immediately recall information is actually kept, uh, as is remote memory. Like they can remember things like from the distant past, but the patient's ability to recall events uh, or retain the information that they have been given, like just given, uh, is impaired. And that's called antegrade amnesia, by the way. Uh, So there may be little retrograde amnesia as well. So like events prior to coitus may be forgotten. And of course, events during coitus were forgotten as well. That's the antegrade. So symptoms generally last less than 24 hours, which is definitely the case with this guy. So basically, this is a person who's going to be like, you may get repetitive questioning in some of these people kind of trying to figure out how, what, where, why with their situation. Uh, They're not going to remember what you tell them uh, with the exception that they could immediately recall information that you do tell them like within. Okay. Right. Oh, like, so if I, if I'm like, it, so when we do like the, that sort of a uh, memory assessment, like, Hey, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you three words and I want you to say them back to me. And yeah. then you're like cat ball house. And they go, yeah. And you go like, Hey, give me the words. And they go uh, cat ball house. And right. that would happen. But then like a minute later, I'm guessing then like, you would ask them and, and they'd be like, what, what are you talking about? hundred percent. Kind of a thing. Okay. 100%. Gotcha. So in a lot of cases, it will actually retain social skills, complex motor skills, and they can process visual data coming to them. Uh, and they're often alert 
and often anxious. So our guy kind of fits this bill. I'm guessing the presentation changed a little bit by the time they got to the emergency room, but there are parts of this that do ring true to our guy, particularly if you think about it, that alertness and kind of the anxious, constant moving, can't sit still. Uh, the problem with our guy, though, is we didn't get much of a verbal response from the guy, so there wasn't any mm, of that repetitive yeah. questioning there. Um, but this is kind of what he ended up with <laughs> upon discharge. So why does this happen? So TGA, as I'm going to call it, at this point, it appears to be more of like a syndrome, uh, which has a variety of potential causes. So think of it as sort of like dementia in that there are many potential pathologies, which can cause various forms of dementia, like Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's, traumatic brain injuries, etc. And from the studies they've done so far on TGA, there appear to be multiple potential pathologies, which could be mechanisms that actually cause this condition. Some hypothesize this might be like a migraine variant, uh, or that these are focal seizures, which was something that was witnessed. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. TIAs, uh, or there may be some other like psychological cause as well. So another common feature with this condition is that there are often common events, which may be triggers. Precipitants of TGA frequently include physical exertion, like doing it, overwhelming emotional stress, like seeing Jar Jar Binks in episode one, uh, pain, <laughs> cold water exposure. Here's one. Sexual intercourse. Oh, there it is. And okay. Valsalva maneuver. These triggers may have a common physiological feature. Increased venous return to the superior vena cava. Okay. Interesting. So how often does this actually happen? So uh, author, the uh, lead author, Miller, uh, wrote a paper for the neurology publication back in 1987. And they reported. Oh, woo. Yeah. And they reported uh, in the U.S. there are about 5.2 cases per 100,000 people. The incidence jumps up to about 23 cases per 100,000 people uh, if you if you just narrow it down to people who are over 50. So, physical findings. The patients with this condition have normal exams with the exception of the memory piece, which does also fit our guy. Basically, if they're having stroke symptoms or seizure symptoms, uh, go with that as the cause. So, what do we do to treat this? Well, the first step is going to be to make sure that the patient's amnesia isn't a stroke, seizure, or some, or some other cause. So good job to everyone on scene. Uh, but beyond that, the mainstay of treatment is just to reassure the patient if they can comprehend you. Um, and they are very often going to be anxious, understandably, and then have them, they need to be followed up with a neurologist. And I imagine this patient is going to have quite some follow-up. There are probably uh, EEGs and MRIs in this man's future. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So. So here's the thing. So here's the advice I would give kind of going forward. This, this in and of itself, this isn't really a diagnosis you're going to give in the field a whole lot. Like don't call in your radio reports and be like, I think it's TGA. Um, it's prob <laughs> probably not useful to anybody. Yeah. Um, so however, this, this would be something that's really important in, in terms of somebody's history. So that's why this is kind of important to notice because TGA does sound like something that you could have some sort of transient ischemic event in your brain that comes and goes, and this may be what you end up with. So important to know, like, as it's going on, not so much. There's not really much you can do about it, but an important piece of history absolutely can be. Yeah. I, it, to me, it sounds sort of like um, it, when, you know, like we're like, oh, that chest pain is from anxiety. You know, it's like that is that is what you determine after you have ruled out all the other like bad shit that it could be. And they're like, hey, we don't know what's causing your chest pain, but you have a history of anxiety. And there is a common theme of people having chest pain you know, with their anxiety. And it doesn't seem we've you know, 
we have ruled out all the other things. Not we as an EMS. That's the hospital's job because they have all the blood right. draws and all of that stuff and the yeah. time to sit with the patient and make sure it's not a STEMI waiting to declare itself. Um, so I, th- that's to me, it's sort of like where this patient probably ended up with was like, hey, we did our CT scans. We did our blood draws. There's nothing in their history that says like there's a trauma. There's no you know, uh, tumors that we can see. Like, yeah, this Sounds like TGA. <laughs> exactly. It's the syncope of uh, neurological symptoms. <laughs> that's that's essentially nice. what it is. Yeah, you lost yeah. consciousness. Uh, we're going to call it syncope. Oh, what does that mean? I don't know. It's not, I mean, it could mean any one of these number of things that, that happened to you. All right. So, uh, Spence, anything else to add? Uh, no, I think uh, I think what we've learned here is that marijuana is a deadly, deadly deadly drug that should marijuana never be cigarettes touched. absolutely Mar- marijuana cigarettes Horrible. are basically terrible. one puff in your head falls clean off <laughs> i really like the history gathering it's really important to make sure that you you know do a thorough assessment that you get that history that you make sure like when you have these like patients with this altered mental status that you're going through that you know a checklist of those things that it could potentially be and making sure you're hitting those off and ruling those out as best you can um you know understanding that like yeah, sometimes we might have imperfect data, but, uh, you know, but everything's sort of a shade of probability, you know? Right. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. I thought that, yeah, I think that was a really good, that was something that we saw here that, uh, you know, I, I would hope others would replicate. So, yeah. And finally, also remember that all your patients are not uh, white plastic 20 year old mannequins and that you may need to adjust uh, your assessment style to actually assess the patient uh, in front of you. So uh, yeah. with that, uh, Spence, any final thoughts or can we just put this thing to bed? You know, um, let's go ahead and have Luke dump out their blue almond milk. Um, oh, God. And tell the uh, Jawawawas to stop selling all our ILS kits and stuff. Watch and, us. Uh, also, yeah. And then uh, also tell Ron, Ron Solo to stop telling selling marijuana out of the Millennial Falcon uh, to pay for rent for the house. You know what? I tried to tell Ron Solo. <laughs> I try. I, that's awesome. I tried to tell Ron Solo like the odds of actually overdosing on marijuana. He just looked at me and said, "Never tell me the odds." So it was really hard to get through to him. So yeah, yeah, with that, and, everybody, uh, th- th- it doesn't yeah. get any more awkward than this. We can stop trying. Um, with that, old please. Ken, what us. about old Ken and charge no, our wigs? Nope. <laughs> I would like you guys to know that I, I pretty much forgot about Jar Jar Winks like everybody else did. And I'm sorry, Jar Jar. Uh, but anyway, uh, with that, everybody, please go visit GuardianCME.com. Check out their content there. A lot of their content there is our content. You can get continuing education hours for free just for listening to the show. Please support us by going to our merchandise store on TeePublic. There's a sale that starts on the 9th, goes to the 12th, $13 shirts, 35% off of everything else. Get your EMS 2020 merch. It supports us directly. That's money in our pockets. Uh, please follow us on social media, EMS 20 slash 20 on Facebook, EMS 2020 show on Instagram. Every show gets its own post. You can interact with, with us there. And if you want your call to be on this show, email it to EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, we'll give it once over and uh, see if we can help you with that. Bye. Punch it, Chewie. (laughs) Now there it is.